The way uh, Christmas works this year um, means we just get to have a church Christmas worship service. And it's just lovely because some years it just feels like, you know, we have all the kind of bells and whistles services and they're all great as well, but it's just actually lovely as those who follow Jesus to be able to worship him together in this place. So I'm kind of delighted that it's worked out this way. Um, So, what are you waiting for? It's nearly there, isn't it? What are you waiting for this Christmas? It's not long to go. Are you longing for anything in particular? I know what I'm longing for. It's very simple. A rest. That is it. A rest. That, that is the main thing that I am longing for. Anything that uh, means resting um, and Christmas movies and, you know, all that stuff. That's what I'm longing for. And maybe you're longing for some family time, maybe just because you've been really busy, maybe because your family live away and it's just nice to have that family time together. Maybe you're longing for your Christmas dinner. Or maybe you've had so many Christmas dinners already that, frankly, you're not longing for Christmas dinner, but you never know. Or some kind of special festive food. We have the biscuits that are only baked at Christmas. And, uh, and we have made them, and we are now permitted to eat them. But only slowly. I am just like some kind of guard over the biscuits. They have to last. I'm not making any more. But they're only made at this time of year, and every year I look forward to them. I wonder what you are expecting to receive. Maybe nothing. Maybe you're not expecting anything. Maybe it's your yearly stock of slippers or fat-faced pajamas or socks or maybe it's some kind of technology that you've been dreaming of or that book that you're hoping that someone has realized that you really secretly would want. Or maybe you're anticipating a surprise. I wonder if you're looking forward to anything special this Christmas. Over the last uh, few years, um, as a family, we have um, done this, the Santa Tracker. It is just fab, and it gets more exciting every single year, even if Caitlin tells me it's less exciting now that you don't believe in Father Christmas. But I still think it's exciting. (laughs) Because secretly, I still want to believe in Father Christmas. I know that's theologically unsound. But I love the fact that when we watch the Santa Tracker, you know, even now you get, the, you get the photos of the places where he's going, and then you get the little red zigzags and that Santa going down the chimney, just in case you didn't know. And you might be surprised to know that there are chimneys in the pyramids in Cairo. You can see it, just watch with me, on Christmas Eve. You see, the waiting is nearly over, isn't it? Christmas Day will soon be upon us. Advent is about anticipation and expectation and looking forward and hope and waiting. Now, maybe that you want to substitute Advent is about being crazily busy, buying way too many things, doing a lot of online Amazon orders and getting a bit frantic and frenetic. But actually, Advent is about waiting. And there are two characters who rarely appear in our 
nativity stories or our Christmas cards, but they are still significant players in the Christmas drama. And that is Simeon and Anna. And if anyone can teach us a little bit about waiting, then it's Simeon and Anna. And so in that passage that um, Neve and Abigail read to us, it talks about these two characters. And in chapter 2 and verse 25, it says of Simeon, he was waiting. He was waiting. And then in verse 38, it talks about Anna and says she was looking forward. You know, the Greek word for anticipation is about waiting with expectation, but it literally means this, alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. Alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. And I just think that is just such a wonderful description of what worship is, what any encounter with a living God is, that we come alert to his appearance, looking for him, expecting him, anticipating that he will be there. But not just like in a crowd going, oh yeah, I saw them, but ready to welcome him, that we play our part in being alert, but also being ready to receive. And that's what worship is about, isn't it? When we come with that sense of alertness and being ready to receive and to welcome him, then our worship is transformed. Our encounter with Jesus is transformed in that moment. Simeon and Anna were those two people. They were alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. So first of all, we look at Simeon. And it says in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. And this is his character. He was righteous and devout. That's not a bad thing to be said about you, is it? That you are righteous, that he lived according to the law He lived in the right way, but also he was devout. He was someone who worshipped the Lord. You know, at that point, though, things weren't going so well for Israel, as we've said many times. They hadn't heard from God for a really long time, many hundreds of years, up until the angel Gabriel spoke to Zechariah. They hadn't heard from God. They weren't used to God speaking regularly to them at that point. They were under the Roman rule. They were occupied by the Roman army. They'd lost their political independence. They were living in fear of a capable, crafty, and cruel King Herod. That's the point where you go, boo. Pretty reasonable. That was the backdrop for Simeon and Anna, was this state of affairs in Israel at that time. But also, Simeon had the reality of God's promise, because in chapter 2 and verse 26, it says this, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He had a good reason for hope and anticipation. He believed that he would not die before he saw Christ. But he was very, very old. Now, I wonder how many people he shared this revelation with. I mean, personally, I think if it had been me, I might have been tempted not to share it with many people. I wonder if he ever said anything to anyone and they went, yes. Others have said that. 
I'm sure it's good for you to have hope, but don't be disappointed if it doesn't work out quite how you expect. Now, I wonder if he treasured that revelation in his own heart, this certainty, this hope that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Messiah. But as the years went on, I wonder whether he was so able to hold to that, because when God reveals promise to us, the longer that we have to hold on, the harder it is, isn't it? Whether he wondered and doubted just on occasions that this might not come true. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but it says that the Holy Spirit was on him. And that was really unusual. It was at that point, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out as he was at Pentecost for the church beyond that time. The Holy Spirit was only on certain people, prophets, people anointed to do God's purposes. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon and had revealed things to Simeon. Simeon's expectation focused on the consolation or the comfort that Christ would bring. It's one of the Messiah's titles, isn't it, from Isaiah chapter 9. Wonderful counselor. He is our comforter. And we all need to be comforted sometimes, don't we? It is a universal human need. Loneliness is epidemic across the Western world. More people are lonely now in the UK than probably at any point in history. A sense of emptiness prevails, of insecurity, even of desperation. Sadly, the Christmas season is an even greater time for people to speak about depression and there's a great occasion of suicide. You know, it's not all happy. People need comforts. They need consolation. They need that aspect of the Messiah's character. And Simeon was looking to that point where the consolation of Israel, the comforter, Christ, would come. And the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go to the temple courts at just the right time. Why? Because he was alert. He was alert to the coming of Christ. So when he sensed the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he didn't think, oh, I really need to go to Aldi right now. (laughs) Or maybe he wasn't the Holy Spirit. Or maybe I'm just busy. When he sensed the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he went. He went to the temple courts, expectant, alert, looking. Mary and Joseph came in. According to the law, for the rites of purification for Mary, the baby was about six weeks old. And as they walked in, Simeon just knew. He just knew. Because he was alert to the coming of the Messiah, he just knew that this was the Messiah. And in verse 28, it says that he took the baby in his arms. I don't think he went over to Mary and Joseph in the mass of the crowds and just grabbed the baby off them. (laughs) That doesn't seem quite right, does it? I don't know whether he asked. I don't know whether he was one of the elders who was part of the purification ritual. I don't know. But he took the baby in his arms. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when you have been waiting 
for around 100 years for the most exciting, best promise ever, ever, ever to occur. And you are one of the few people ever in history to hold in your arms baby Jesus, Christ, the Messiah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the joy that must have welled up in his heart on that day as he held that baby? Everything had come true. Everything was going to be fulfilled. And he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. It's fine. I can just die now because the fulfillment of the promise has come. The hope of the nations has come. It's fine. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Isn't that strange? The first thing he says is that this baby will be a light to the Gentiles. This is a Jewish man, a worshipper in the temple. The first thing he says of Jesus the Savior is he will be a light to the Gentiles. He is the saviour of the world. He always has been the saviour of the world and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon understood and he got it. And then there was Anna. After a very brief marriage, her husband died. And after he died, she dedicated herself to fasting and praying in the temple it says that she never left. She worshipped day and night. I mean, that's devotion, isn't it? That is devotion. Whether she stayed in the temple courts because in some ways there she was cared for, she was looked after, it was safe. Also because she just wanted to be in the presence of God to worship him day and night. This was someone whose heart was entirely committed to the Lord, wasn't it? Fasting and worshipping day and night. She was looking for the same person as Simeon, but with a slightly different focus. She was looking, it says here, for forgiveness. It says she was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, redemption, related to the idea of captivity, of the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt, related to the idea of the Passover, that amazing night when the people killed the lambs and they put the blood on the doorposts and the angel of death swept over Egypt and all those who had blood, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, were saved and they were released from the captivity of Egypt. It is that symbol of the exodus, of freedom from slavery, freedom from Egypt that is seen throughout the Old Testament. And into the New Testament, it makes sense of Jesus, the Lamb of God, his death in our place and our freedom from sin and slavery and death. The Passover pointed to that day when God would provide deliverance from the slavery of sin. And Anna saw... She was a prophetess, a devout, devoted prophetess in the temple. 
She gave thanks to God because she saw. She was alert to his appearance and she welcomed him as the one who would save their pe- the people from their sins. I wonder who you identify more with. Do you identify more with Simeon? Perhaps you're hurting this Christmas. Perhaps you feel empty and afraid. Perhaps you're lonely. Perhaps you're stressed out. Perhaps most of all what you need is comfort and consolation this Christmas. And as I've said many times before, comfort is not being wrapped in cotton wool. Comfort is about strength being put into you. It's about courage being put into you. It's about encouragement, courage in, meant. It's about that kind of solidity, stability that God brings to you, comfort and consolation. Do we need a fresh sense of the presence of God this Christmas, bringing us comfort and consolation? Because Christmas is about this, Emmanuel, God with us. And when God is with us, we are comforted because he is the comforter. He is the consoler. He is the encourager. Or are you a bit more identifying with Anna? Perhaps you find yourself plagued with guilt or trapped in patterns of sin that you can't break out of. Perhaps you've still never known that Jesus is the one who can break the chains and set you free. And actually what you most need this Christmas is freedom and forgiveness. And what we often sing in our carols is this, Christ the Saviour is born. It is impossible for us to talk about the crib without the cross. It is impossible because Jesus came to live and to die. He came to defeat the works of the evil one, to set people free to allow them to have forgiveness and hope and life everlasting. And that's why it's our joy this morning to do Christmas and communion, because it makes sense. How will you respond to Jesus? You know, it says of uh, Mary and Joseph in verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Do you ever feel that you've lost your sense of wonder when it comes to Christmas? In Mary and Joseph, I mean, I know they'd encountered a couple of angels and had, you know, a few miraculous dreams and a bunch of shepherds had turned up. But I, I can't imagine how long it took them to get their hearts around what was going on. And every time something new happened, and, and Simeon suddenly recognizes them and praises God and affirms that this is the Messiah, and then a minute later they're going to have Anna doing the same thing, and then some point later the wise men are going to arrive with their helpful gifts. And How long did it take them to just understand who Jesus was? To wonder, to marvel, to be astonished, to be surprised. 
And I wonder whether our wonder has gone AWOL. Every year when Phil and I sit down to plan 101 Christmas services again, we go, right, what's a different angle we can have on this this year? And we, because it's the same story. Have you noticed that? It's the same story. And yet the wonder is still there that God came in a tiny baby, in a feeding trough, in a stable, in a fairly random town from our point of view, among us. And do we worship as we recognize who he is? Do we make ourselves present in his presence? Do we make ourselves present in his presence? Are we alert to his appearance? Are we ready to welcome him? See, I do that because I kind of do that when I think about welcoming him. I think sometimes that's what we do in our worship when we lift our hands. It's like, it's kind of a sign, isn't it? And do we recognize who he is? Verse 34, Simeon says to Mary, it's not necessarily what you want to hear at your baby's dedication. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. We recognize who he is. You know, this is not saccharine. It's not sickly sweet. This is a baby who didn't stay in the manger. This is the most powerful, influential person who ever lived on earth. Our calendars are arranged around him. He was cause the falling and rising of many. He forces people to make a decision about who he is. And even this year, and most excitingly this year, in our community, many people have made a decision about who Jesus is, and they have found out that he is saviour, that he is Lord, that he is forgiver, that he is redeemer, that he is counsellor and comforter, that he is the Prince of Peace, that he is everything that he said that he was. But he isn't neutral. He is someone who we have to make a decision about. And in a moment, we are going to respond in communion. Trying to work out what order we said we were doing. (laughs) You know, Simeon says that he will cause the rising and falling. Peter talks about a rock that makes people stumble. This is how you fall over. It's when you find the rock and you fall over it. It's when you see Jesus and you say, no, I don't want to know him. It's when you encounter him and your life is too busy. It's when you still want to be Lord and not let him be Lord. Then you stumble over the rock and you fall. But he is also the rock which enables people to rise because he is the rock on which we build our lives. And our nation is very unstable right now. It's very unsettled. We have no idea what's going on in government, and it's shutting the doors for Christmas. The U.S. is in meltdown as well, and they're shutting the doors for Christmas. The picture I saw on the BBC News didn't even have the lights on. 
We have a rock on which we build our lives. We have the best story ever, that here is a rock that will not fall, and you can build your life on him. This is our decision, isn't it? Are we for or against Jesus? What are we waiting for? Are we waiting for some Christmas presents? Yeah, probably. Are we waiting for that thing that we kind of, if we did write a letter to Santa, we would have written on it? Yeah, maybe. Are we waiting for a nice dinner? Yes. Are we waiting for some nice time with family and friends? Yes. Are we waiting for our favorite Christmas movie? Yes. But if we have all of those things, but we don't have Jesus, kind of missed the point, haven't we? We're going to use some words for communion together. And then after we've done that, we're going to watch video. And then we're going to take communion. And we thought about various ways of doing it, but we were not expecting this many people. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just do it kind of normally. Um, that's for the deacons who are wondering what's going on. And as we take communion, we're also going to respond in worship so anticipate that that's what will happen. Um, and let's take this time, because I know what the rest of our Christmas is often like. Let's take this time to be alert to his presence. Maybe he wants to speak to you. Maybe he wants to speak to us. Maybe he wants to encounter us in a fresh way today. Maybe he needs to recapture our wonder in all that he's done for us. Maybe you need to meet him for the first time today. Maybe you've been dragged along. You're not even sure why you're in church this morning. But you need to meet Jesus for the first time, your Savior and Lord. So we're going to say these words together. I'll read the bits that are in italics. And if you read the bits that are in bold print, that would be most wonderful. So we start... The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks and praise to the Lord our God. It is not only right, it is our duty and our joy at all times and in all places to give you thanks and praise. Holy Father, Heavenly King, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord. For the love and gentle care of Mary, his mother, most blessed of all women, we thank you, Heavenly Father. For wise men from the east who followed the star and presented their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, we thank you, Heavenly Father. And in our joyful gratitude, we join our voices with the angels who are always singing to you.
Lord God, Holy Spirit, may that word that was made flesh now be born again amongst us in the faithful hearts of his people and in these gifts of bread and wine that here on earth we may share his risen life and come at the last to his eternal kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're going to watch this film. Maybe the deacons who are serving could come to the front whilst that's going on.